Welcome to Above Avalon. This is episode 114, The End to Apple's Cash Dilemma. I am Neil. For the past three weeks, things have been pretty crazy to be an Apple financial analyst as a lot of attention has been put on taxes. Earlier this month, the U.S. Senate passed its tax bill. This was after the U.S. House passed their own tax bill. And there were significant differences between the Senate and House tax bills. Those differences had to be reconciled in conference. As of this episode's recording, it seems like a final bill has been achieved. And that final bill will be going out to a vote in a couple of days. It's not clear if there are enough senators to vote for this. It seems likely, but we're going to have to wait and see. Nevertheless, I would say that the probability of a U.S. corporate tax overhaul has never been higher. And this has a significant impact on Apple. We can go so far as to say that the end to Apple's cash dilemma is in sight. And that is the topic for today's episode. Both the Senate and House tax bills move the U.S. to a territorial-based tax system. In addition, both bills include deemed repatriation of foreign cash at roughly a 14% tax rate. These two items are probably considered the least controversial items in this tax bill. So while we don't have a look at the final bill just yet, I have a very high degree of confidence that both the territorial-based tax system and deemed repatriation at around 14-15% are included in the final bill. Up to now, most of the analysis regarding how these tax changes will impact Apple has been focused on the effective tax rate. So what is Apple going to be paying going forward? And while I think that's crucial to know in terms of modeling Apple correctly, I think there's something much more important here to look at. These tax changes will allow Apple to develop a sustainable long-term strategy for managing its cash and balance sheet. If you're interested in analyzing Apple financials, that item is crucial. And I think we are going to see significant changes to the way Apple thinks about cash and thinks about optimizing its balance sheet. Now, the best way of describing Apple's business is that it is a cash-generating machine. We went into detail about this back in episode 104. Apple reported $64 billion of operating cash flow in fiscal year 2017. So that's the year that just ended at the end of September. This is nearly as much as Alphabet, Facebook, and Amazon combined. And the thing about operating cash flow is it is valid to look at, even though all of these companies have very different philosophies when it comes to CapEx. A lot of people say, well, you can't really look at Amazon's net income because they purposely keep it low. And that's true. So let's look at operating cash flow. That's where Apple's scale really jumps out. And then you can look at things on a free cash flow basis. So this is taking a look at the measure of how much cash is generated after taking into account all of this CapEx and other costs associated with running the business. Well, Apple reported $50 billion of free cash flow last year. This was $2 billion more than the free cash flow produced by Alphabet, Facebook, and Amazon combined. Now, this could change going forward, and I think it will change going forward, but it's pretty clear that Apple has the best business model for generating cash. And this is one reason why 
Apple has been put in the spotlight when it comes to taxes, and specifically when it comes to foreign cash. Now, under the current U.S. tax system, Apple owes 35% tax to the federal government on all revenue earned. It doesn't matter if it's earned in the U.S. or abroad. 35%. The thing is, Apple pays that 35% tax on foreign profits only when the cash is brought back to the U.S. So what this has done is it's led Apple and other Silicon Valley firms, a lot of companies actually, to keep the foreign cash offshore. Why? It's pretty simple. It's the financially prudent thing to do for shareholders. Now, we can have a debate as to whether companies should be bringing back this cash and paying tax, or if companies should continue their current strategy of just kind of keeping it offshore and waiting for some change to the tax code, which again, could be occurring in the next couple of days. Apple's position on this has been pretty consistent over the years. You have Tim Cook calling for U.S. corporate tax reform, where revenue earned abroad is marked differently, is treated differently than revenue earned in the U.S. And so this is exactly what would be happening in a territorial-based tax system. In the meantime, since this U.S. corporate tax overhaul has not occurred yet, what Apple has been doing is paying local taxes on foreign profits. They receive a credit for taxes that are paid to foreign governments. And they've been accruing tax, which is another way of just saying setting aside tax, on the portion of cash that's deemed to be brought back to the U.S. at some point in the future. So what that means is when they generate cash offshore, they actually look at that cash and go, well, will we one day bring this back to the U.S.? If the answer is yes, they actually set aside taxes to bring it back. So that means that if U.S. corporate tax reform is passed and Apple starts bringing its cash back, it's not that they all of a sudden have to start considering the taxes. They've already set aside a significant amount of taxes with that cash in mind. So at this point, it may be easy to say, okay, well, maybe Apple just continues to doing what they're doing, right? You keep cash offshore, you have some cash in the U.S. This is not that big a deal. They could just keep doing this and hope for some type of U.S. corporate tax reform. However, there is a problem here. Apple is unable to use cash that's held in foreign subsidiaries to fund share buyback and quarterly cash dividends. And so this really represents a cash dilemma. Apple is generating cash internationally at a much faster rate than it is able to spend. This has produced a situation where excess cash that is not needed to run Apple's business has been building on the balance sheet. Now, at this point, I usually get a couple of responses. Uh, you, one, one response is, are you really saying that Apple's biggest financial problem is having too much cash? That seems like a problem any company would like to have. And on the surface, I agree with that reaction. That yes, it does seem to be a good problem to have that we're talking about having too much cash instead of not enough cash. We can look at Tesla as an example of a company that really would hope that to be having a lot more cash on its balance sheet. With that said, 
There are problems. There are risks found with a public company holding too much excess cash on the balance sheet. It is not ideal. And it can cause problems in terms of how investors value that company. We'll talk a little bit more about that in a few minutes. When it comes to gauging how big of a problem this is, as of September 30th, 2017, Apple had $252 billion of cash. Technically, it's cash, cash equivalents, and marketable securities. What that means is that it is invested in stuff. It's invested in certain corporate securities. It could be invested in short-term debt. The point is most of it is pretty liquid. So that's why for this episode, I'm just going to call it cash. I think for most people, referring to it as cash does the trick. I think it gets the point across. You don't necessarily have to worry about Apple investing in illiquid investments or hedge funds or alternative investments where prices really fluctuate. The investment portfolio doesn't include anything like that. So you're talking about pretty highly rated liquid stuff. So I'm just going to call it $252 billion of cash in foreign subsidiaries. That is 95% of Apple's total cash. In fact, when you look at U.S. cash at the end of the year 2017, Apple had only $17 billion. I actually don't think they can let that total fall too much more without jeopardizing company flexibility. So you can see what's happening here. They're starting to get a little bit stuck in terms of how they can manage their balance sheet. The amount of cash internationally is just getting too crazy. Now, management has been trying something to handle this cash dilemma, at least in the near term, and that has been debt. So Apple has been issuing debt at a pace that's roughly equal to international cash generation. You could think of it as Apple is using debt in order to utilize all of that international cash stuck offshore. Getting into a little bit more of the detail, what's going on here is Apple's raising cash via the debt offering and then piling it into share buyback and quarterly cash dividends. And so we see this when you look at Apple's net cash. And by the way, I have all of these numbers over at AboveAvalon.com in this week's article titled The End to Apple's Cash Dilemma. So if you look at Apple's net cash, something interesting quickly appears. And by the way, net cash is just simply the amount of cash on the balance sheet minus the debt. So it's a pretty straightforward calculation. Apple's net cash has plateaued at right around $150 billion. So it was $151 billion in 2016. It was $153 billion in 2017. What's going on here? Why is that not really growing? Well, Apple has been able to offset the international cash generation with sheer buyback, dividends, and all of the other expenses that are needed to run Apple. But here's the thing. Apple hasn't been able to spend the cash fast enough to actually lead to a declining net cash balance. It's still $153 billion. That number most likely needs to come down. It's still too high. So Apple finds itself in a situation 
where it just can't seem to lower its net cash. It can't get rid of the excess cash on the balance sheet in a prudent way because of the way the U.S. corporate tax code has been up to now. This is why there has been so much attention placed on this U.S. corporate tax bill that's being pushed through Washington that includes a territorial-based tax system and deemed repatriation of around 14 to 15%. If we assume that the tax bill does not get passed and it does not go into law, what's going to happen here? It's a safe bet that Apple will soon have $300 billion of cash, pretty much all of it located abroad, and probably $150 billion of debt. So the company will have to continue issuing debt to offset all of that cash that's stuck offshore. This is going to be an issue. Because what's going to happen is Apple has to carefully manage all of this debt that's piling up on the balance sheet. You're going to start having debt payments come due. They've already started. This will only strain its U.S. cash needs even further. And so that's why this strategy of issuing debt in lieu of using international cash for capital management activity, it's not sustainable. It can't go on forever, especially if interest rates rise and that debt becomes much more expensive or if iPhone sales slow. It's just not a good situation here. And so Apple management needs a solution to this excess cash dilemma. And when you look at the prospects of a U.S. corporate tax code being overhauled, that is the optimal solution. It is the best case scenario for Apple. At this point of the episode, we are going to assume that this finalized tax bill has the votes and it goes into law. How is this going to actually impact Apple? What is going to happen? Two things. Two significant things. The first, international cash will be brought back to the U.S. So Apple will bring $252 billion of international cash back. If you take into account a taxes and the cash that Apple already has in U.S. subsidiaries, you're looking at Apple having somewhere around $225 billion of cash in U.S. subsidiaries. It's going to be a little bit higher than that. That's sort of the conservative number, $225 billion. Assuming foreign cash is taxed at 14.5%, it looks like Apple's decision to delay repatriation will probably have paid off to the tune of tens of billions of dollars. And so this is exactly what Apple really wanted to occur by not bringing back its cash over the years. The second major change that's going to occur is that Apple isn't going to issue as much debt. As of today, Apple's currently issuing approximately $30 billion of debt per year. That's a lot. (laughs) That's a significant amount. And the only reason, again, that Apple has been issuing so much debt has been to offset all of this international cash generation. Well, if Apple no longer has that issue, they have all their cash in U.S. subs, Well, Apple doesn't need to issue as much debt going forward. Now, I will say that there is a very good argument for Apple to continue issuing some low-cost debt that could be used to optimize the balance sheet, lower the company's overall cost of capital, 
One strategy that I came up with is that Apple could issue debt at a pace roughly equal to the amount of existing debt payments that are coming due. So in 2018, Apple has $6.5 billion of debt that comes due. In 2019, they have about $9 billion of debt that comes due. So what they could do is just raise debt to pay off the existing debt. And that will kind of keep your overall debt levels sort of flat. And I think that's actually a best case scenario for Apple, where you don't really need to lower your debt to zero. That, that's not needed. So you don't need to take excess cash and buy all your debt right now. At the same time, I don't think you really want to increase the debt load too much more, at least not in terms of, say, 50% higher, 100% higher. I still think there's a little bit more room for Apple to issue debt, but once you start getting higher, I think a lot more in the way of questioning has to be thrown at management as to what their long-term strategy is. So again, assuming that there is a U.S. corporate tax code change, expect Apple's debt issuance to slow. Assuming Apple has at least $225 billion of cash in U.S. subsidiaries, what does the company do with all of that? Well, we have to make a few adjustments. The first thing is we have to look at the debt. We have $116 billion of debt. And we also have to look at all of the expenses that Apple has. You're looking at organic growth opportunities. There are selling general and administrative costs. We have capital expenditures, R&D. Of course, we have M&A. So we have a lot of expenses that Apple has to take care of. So when you take into account all of that, you take into account the debt, I think management will probably have at least $75 billion of excess cash in U.S. subsidiaries. This is considered cash that is not needed to fund Apple. This is cash that's not needed to buy Apple a future. It is excess. It's just you don't have any use for it. In order to add a little bit of context, Apple has never had more than $39 billion of cash in the U.S. at any one time. So this raises an obvious question. What should Apple do with $75 billion of truly excess cash? I think there's a couple of options. The first is share buyback. Apple has been spending about $30 billion per year on share buyback. Management could increase the pace of buyback without negatively impacting Apple's share price with all of this buying pressure. So what that means is given the daily trading volume found with Apple shares, they could go into the market with a little bit more money to buy back shares. You're not going to have the share price shoot higher because you have all of this incoming demand. Apple could also do additional accelerated share repurchase programs. So that makes it a little bit easier to buy back a lot of shares in a relatively short amount of time. But there are other options. You can do a modified Dutch auction tender offer. That allows Apple to repurchase a sizable portion of itself in a very timely manner, in a very financially efficient manner as well. So that's share buyback. Apple can look to dividends. Apple is spending about $13 billion per year on quarterly cash dividends, and they have said in the past that they intend to increase that quarterly cash dividend every year. 
So what Apple can do is take the excess cash and just fund a larger increase to the quarterly cash dividend. Another option is Apple can issue a special one-time cash dividend. So this just basically means every shareholder will just get cash. And such a dividend would probably mark one of the more straightforward ways of getting rid of excess cash. You can look at M&A. Management can use excess cash to change its M&A strategy. So they could buy more companies. They could buy companies with larger price tags. They could do either or those changes. R&D, very similar to M&A. Apple can take the excess cash and just funnel it into R&D. So they'll be going into new industries, placing a greater number of bets in existing industries. They could just basically expand their R&D arm. Another option is to take your cash and start to decrease the amount of debt that you have outstanding. And of course, you can't forget maybe what is the most obvious option. Apple can choose to do nothing with the excess cash. They could just simply leave it on the balance sheet. Out of those six options, I think there's only one that makes sense for Apple. Share buyback. I think buying back more shares, assuming the shares are trading at appropriate valuation, is the best use of Apple's excess cash. The other options either contain too many downsides and risk, or they just don't make sense. For example, we can look at dividends. A huge increase to the quarterly cash dividend is going to limit Apple's financial flexibility in the future. Unlike share buyback, which is a mechanism that you can dial back very simply, very quickly, without too much of an overall impact to the market, cutting a quarterly cash dividend is a big deal. It's a big signal to the marketplace that, well, business prospects, they've turned negative. You don't want to do that. So it isn't wise from a financial perspective to use all of this excess cash that you have in the balance sheet today to pin yourself to what amounts to a recurring expense stream in the future. Instead, the better option is that dividend payouts are tied to earnings and cash flow generation. So what that means is as you increase the dividend each year, the hope or the expectation is that your earnings and cash flow are also increasing each year. As for a special cash dividend, I just don't think a lot of Apple shareholders are interested in that. They have to pay the taxes associated with a dividend, and that's not exactly optimal. Instead, they would prefer that cash to be put into share buyback. We have M&A. Apple has been following a very particular strategy when it comes to M&A. So when you look back over the past five years, Apple has spent about $5 billion buying smaller companies. More than half of that, by the way, is from Apple's Beats acquisition in 2014. So instead of using M&A to buy revenue or users, which I think is a disaster in Silicon Valley, what Apple likes to do is use M&A to fill asset holes. So they go after technology. They go after teams of people. They go after talent. And so while the strategy doesn't exclude Apple from buying a very big-ticket acquisition, a, an acquisition with a very high price, it does reduce the likelihood 
of Apple going out and buying a very large company with all this baggage, all of these smaller businesses, all of these assets, that's not for Apple. That's not in Apple's DNA. There is little sense in Apple changing its M&A strategy and pursuing all of this larger M&A just because it now has excess cash. That, doesn't, that just doesn't register with me. The same thing applies to R&D. If you look at Apple's strategy in terms of R&D, it is changing as the tech landscape is changing. I don't think there's any question about that. While Apple remains remarkably focused in terms of its R&D spending, you do see signs of Apple expanding its interest a little bit to include additional industries, to look at additional manufacturing techniques and processes. You have Apple kind of moving a little bit slow, but, but they're definitely moving in the direction of venture capital investing. You have a billion-dollar investment in Didi. You have Apple investing in SoftBank's tech fund. Apple is making these investments to improve access to new ideas in upcoming technology. So the major takeaway from all of this is that they can fund all of this R&D with just their current cash generation. They don't need to ramp R&D by 200% or by 100% just to get rid of cash. What do you do with all of that? I mean, it's not something where you could just say, well, since we now have all of this cash, let's just investigate even more stuff. That doesn't work in real life. Instead, that focus mantra that is found throughout Apple's culture, it also extends to R&D. And I think that's pretty critical for Apple to continue with going forward. As for the option of buying debt, I don't like it. I don't think that is realistic just because this is low-cost debt. There's no reason to take excess cash and just buy it all back. Instead, Apple could just let it kind of flow off naturally and then determine at that time to just kind of pay it off and lower your overall debt total. Or as I said earlier, you can just continue to issue new debt and just stick with that, say, $100, $120 billion of debt on the balance sheet. I think that will work out pretty well for Apple. And then you have the option of doing nothing. Why is that such a bad option? It's just not financially prudent. Investors are not going to value Apple shares based on management's ability to run the largest hedge fund in the world. Instead, investors care about trying to value the degree to which management can utilize Apple's assets to produce future cash flows. So sitting on excess cash, it ends up being a major liability for Apple. One of the largest risks that Apple faces with holding too much cash is that Wall Street starts to discount the cash. Investors start to worry that Apple's just going to waste it. I actually think a version of this scenario occurred a few years ago in the early 2010s before Apple started to buy back its shares. I think investors were starting to discount the cash that's sitting on the balance sheet. And this led to a lower stock valuation. And primarily because even though this current management team may say that they'll manage the cash in a prudent way, you don't know what's going to happen in the future. What if there's a different management team at Apple? Who's to say that they're not going to waste that cash on frivolous M&A, all these questionable investments from a stock investor's point of view, you don't want to face that. 
And so even though Apple may have $200 billion, $250 billion of cash, they start to get penalized for it. It's not completely valued in a way that you would think. That's the primary reason why you really need to be prudent in terms of the amount of cash that you have in the balance sheet. This doesn't mean that companies need to get rid of every single bit of excess cash. That, that's not it. Instead, you have to have the right amount of cash given your cash needs, given the amount of debt that you have, given the flexibility that you need going forward based on your business model. There's a lot of factors that are coming into play here. But at the end of the day, you don't need to sit on $100 billion of cash or even $75 billion of cash that's deemed truly excess. Assuming Apple agrees with my assessment here and they want to spend $75 billion of truly excess cash on share buyback, what's the next step? How does that actually take place? On paper, this doesn't seem to be a big issue. Apple is already repurchasing $30 billion of shares per year. So they could just double that and maybe within two or three years, they can go through $75 billion of excess cash. There's an issue there. There's a problem. In reality, there are limitations as to how many shares Apple can repurchase without distorting the share price. They can't just go into the market and say, we now have an additional $75 billion of cash to spend on buyback. We're going to do that over the next three months. It doesn't work like that. And I don't even think you can use accelerated share repurchases to spend an additional $75 billion on share buyback. It's just too much money. We're talking way too much for what Apple can do given just open market transactions and accelerated share repurchases. What's left? What can you really do here? Well, there is an alternative mechanism. It's a modified Dutch auction tender offer. I think it's the most appropriate vehicle for what Apple would be interested in doing. And essentially what happens here is that Apple goes straight to shareholders with its plan to repurchase a significant amount of stock. A $75 billion tender offer would amount to Apple buying back about 8% of itself. And you don't need a lot of time. This probably could occur over the span of just a few weeks. All of the shares that are repurchased from shareholders via this tender offer, they would be retired. They're taking out of circulation, so you don't have an issue of Apple trying to go private or anything like that. Historically, companies who use modified Dutch auction tender offers, they buy back about 15% of their outstanding shares. So I think a $75 billion tender offer, at least from that percentage, the percentage of outstanding shares, it's not outlandish. You can argue if there would be that much appetite, if 8% of shareholders would be willing to sell their shares to Apple. Of course, it's going to depend on what the share price would be. Nevertheless, I do think this is the best mechanism. It's the most probably cost efficient. It's certainly very timely. So what you can do is take $75 billion of excess cash and buy back a lot of your stock in a very short amount of time. Now, of course, the big thing here, and I don't talk much about it, is you have to make sure that the valuation makes sense. So if for whatever reason you had Apple shares trading at a very lofty valuation that exceeds its peers, good luck trying to figure out a good peer group for Apple, or exceeds 
let's just say the overall market, then you have a very different situation. But our assumption here is that the market uh, continues to have trouble trying to understand Apple, trying to figure out the proper valuation. And then you have Apple management kind of on the side saying, we still think our shares are undervalued. Uh, we think it makes most sense. Again, that, that is the assumption that's sort of in the background to this discussion. In conclusion, an overhaul to the U.S. corporate tax means much more to Apple than just a different tax rate going forward. Instead, a territorial-based tax system allows Apple to manage its future cash generation in a much more efficient way. I think the days of Apple being stuck with all of its cash in international subsidiaries, those days are numbered. You then have all of these concerns around Apple issuing too much debt, well, I think those concerns start to go away. And so you can see what these changes amount to. We're talking about Apple having a sustainable strategy for managing its balance sheet. This has never really occurred, at least not in the current era where you have Apple generating so much cash per year. We will see in the coming days if this tax bill has the votes to move forward and become law. But at this point, there is light at the end of Apple's cash dilemma tunnel. That will do it for today's episode. There were a number of subtopics in this episode that we went through very quickly, such as accelerated share repurchase programs, the difference between those and, say, open market transactions for share buyback. We also went through the modified Dutch auction tender offer very quickly. I'll include a few links in the show notes where I've talked about those topics in much greater detail in the past. Some of those links will be exclusive to Above Avala members as the topic was included in a daily email. If you enjoy the type of analysis found in these podcast episodes and in the weekly articles over at AboveAvala.com, I think you would be very interested in becoming an Above Avalon member and receiving my daily email. All of my analysis and perspective on Apple is found in these daily emails. Each email contains two to three stories, and we talk about strategy and business analysis, financial modeling and estimates. We also go over the current news events, what competitors are up to, my thoughts on Apple earnings, keynotes, really anything that is going on in the world of Apple that I think is important to talk about, we cover in these daily emails. To become an Above Avalon member, just head on over to aboveavalon.com and then go to the membership page. Sign up is very easy. It's either $10 per month or $100 per year. Last but not least, if you enjoy these podcast episodes, if you can leave a rating or review for the Above Avalon podcast, I would greatly appreciate it. You can do so in Apple's podcast app. And also, thank you to those who share these podcasts. Word of mouth is one way of how I'm able to expand this podcast to new listeners. Um, it's always great to hear people discover Above Avalon through this podcast. So again, thank you for your support. I will talk to you all next week. Bye.